2: Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast.
1: With no Ozil and no Alexis, Arsenal battle their way to a valiant nil-nil draw. But enough about next season. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. I am joined by Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. Hello, Tim.
3: Hello
1: there. Hello there, indeed. And as well, I am joined by Clive. Clive is on Twitter at P A F C. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Paul is stuck in some Walmart parking lot with his pants around his ankles and couldn't be on the pod this time, but we uh, we certainly hope that he will be back in a pod in the near future coming from a parking lot near you. In any event, um, let's get into it. And uh, I guess you guys, this is a good performance and I hesitate to call it a good result because we should always strive to win. But I think in context, it is a good result and it starts really with the lineup. I mean, I know we always kind of have that as our thing. We first analyze the lineup, but I think it really deserves it in this case. And Tim, I think you and I were both on the same wavelength. We felt that Alexis would not start. Um, we felt that playing 90 minutes on Thursday was a sure sign of it, but that was before I think either of us knew that Ozil was definitely going to be out. Uh, Owobi had played on Thursday. I think it's fair to say it wasn't his best ever performance and he has been more out of the squad than in the squad lately. How surprised are you that the manager trusted him over Alexis for the start?
3: Um, yeah, I was a little bit because when the news emerged on Saturday evening that Urza was probably going to be injured, I just automatically assumed that Alexis would play. Um, that said, I think it made a lot of sense to play Awobi because Awobi is a very similar type of player, and um, really he was always going to slot into that job probably more naturally than Alexis. Alexis would have changed the dynamic of the attack, and I think the plan for this game has been in the making for quite a long time. I think I said on the possibly the post-Cologne pod that um, I thought that the game against Bournemouth was almost a dry run for this. I felt like um, the performance at Bournemouth was very close to what we'd see at Stamford Bridge, um, and I think that that kind of bore, bore itself out, uh, certainly with the way the front three lined up. And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I just blithely assumed that Alexis would start, but I thought... Um, that playing UOB made some sense because he's a little bit closer to Ozil stylistically. And also, you know, I think people have built this impression that Ozil doesn't defend. Um, What Urzil's very bad at is duels and tackling and 50-50s. He's bad at those things, um, objectively. But that doesn't mean he's a bad defender. And actually what he does quite well is I think he defends space pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we saw that against Bournemouth as well. I, a lot of people have kind of said, oh, could we have done the high press with Ozil? We did it against Bournemouth. And in fact, Ozil was um, was rampant with that high press against Bournemouth. He can do that. Uh, he's just not quite so noticeable. I think he's, he, he's quite intelligent with his pressing and picks his moments. And I think that's exactly what we saw from Awobi actually. I thought he was in in that element of his game and in looking after the ball, he was very, very impressive. And I can kind of see, you know, I, I see what people mean about leaving Ozil out of these games. I know I've, I've thought and said it in the past, um, largely because of the, the kind of energy. But I, I think also with Alexis, Alexis obviously doesn't um, lack defensive uh, endeavour. But I think the concern that um, Arsene might have had with Alexis is when he turns the ball over um, and we're out of shape. And you look uh, and that kind of can take the team out of shape. And you look at Iwobi, um, not nearly as penetrative as a player like Ursula or Alexis, but I think his ball retention was up at 95%. um, And that tells you a lot about why Arsene Wenger picked him, because he takes care of the ball. Um, He probably is less likely to split your defence open, but at the same time, he's less likely than Alexis to turn the ball over um, so I, I I was surprised, but that said, I think it made a lot of sense, um, and I think Arsenal will probably be quite pleased with the decision he made. I do think maybe he should have taken Iwobi off slightly earlier, um, in hindsight, and I think we lost something when we took off Lacazette, and then we lost Welbeck, and obviously that's kind of unforeseen, but I think we just lost a bit too much pace, and I, I've... I might have taken a away be off instead of Lacazette personally.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I think it, it seems clear to me that what we needed in this game was a little more ball security. And when you lose Ozil, if you replace him with Alexis, that's a big step down in ball security, right? I mean, you go from a guy who mm-hmm. traditionally passes the ball at 90% and, doesn't get dispossessed very often to a guy who passes in the 70s and turns the ball over 20 times a game and with shaka completing lower percentage of passes this season and and losing the ball more i think the manager made the call and i mean it's hard to complain about it in retrospect that if ozil's not available the guy he needed on the pitch was the guy who would be less likely to put us under pressure in transitions i mean transitions are where we got slaughtered uh against liverpool so clive i mean having said that I think the player who really shined in this situation uh, in the absence of Alexis Nozel was Aaron Ramsey. He stepped up and had a man-of-the-match performance. Um, he was unlucky not to score a stunning goal. Um, he created opportunities. He was all over the pitch. I mean, Conte gets credit, rightly so, for his engine and his running, but I think Aaron Ramsey is a player who is capable of covering just as much ground, maybe more in an attacking sense than in a, in a uh, defending sense. But how impressed were you with the way Ramsey stepped up?
2: Yeah, I think it's well known that I'm not a massive Aaron Ramsey fan, but I appreciate him. And, um, and I actually thought his success was built on Iwobi, actually. I thought Iwobi gave us some overloads in there, and Aaron Ramsey took advantage of it. And also, sometimes what we expect from Shack, when, when Ramsey does his running around thing, it leaves spaces for um, that shaka can't manage. But mm-hmm. I felt that Iwobi took his position from Ramsey rather than played his own game and slightly deferred to Ramsey, which was the right thing to do. And um, it's interesting how we introduce players into our into our team. We see them, we see their talent, and we give them their head, and then we allow them to develop as they as they please to. And what happens when they have a bad period? Like I'm talking about Iwobi here. Um, they got nothing to refer to. And I watched Uobi against Cologne, and basically I was calling him for him to be loaned. I thought he was very, very average. A few days later, given a Pacific job, a Pacific role in a specific area, and told what to do to allow others to play. He looked like a player we found again. And it's really interesting. I thought, again, to Ramsey now, in a Pacific role, a bit more responsibility, a bit more leadership, he felt a senior player, and I always feel that if he decided—you heard me say it before—if he decided to dominate a smaller space with that engine, I think he could be anything he wants to be. And he's now, in the last two times I've, you know, two three games I've seen him, he's now dominating the central area against Bournemouth. He did it, and he did it here. He. He's not just running in straight lines front to back. He's running laterally. He's going side to side. And if he's becoming, if he's going to be a marathon race in a small area, he can run with anyone, and I include Kante in that. He's just got an unbelievable engine, and he's very, very forceful in his movement. I thought he was excellent. I thought the Bournemouth game was excellent. I thought he was excellent again. But the price we paid for his movement was less due to the discipline and intelligence of Iwobi. And Shaka to fill the spaces. It wasn't just Shaka Ramsey. It was the third man. And the Wobey's position on the right was not impinged so much because Bellerin was so excellent again against Alonso, the man he hates and saves all his best games for. <laughs> he he was doing the he was doing the up and down thing. And so we didn't miss a Wobie wide. And actually later in the game when Ramsey got pushed to the right slightly, I felt Ramsey was a bit too wide and we started to get some spaces through. But I thought Iwobi was excellent. I think it allowed Ramsey to be good. Sometimes when a player plays well, you look for the reasons. Some of Shaka's best games have come with El Nenny. And sometimes you've got to look for the reasons of how players complement. I thought the three of them, Iwobi, Ramsey, and shaka dominated. And I think it was a collective effort, and Ramsey was the icing on the cake.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing is, it's easy to draw ad hoc conclusions after the game, uh, and that's why you're listening to this podcast for that kind of content. Um, but, you know, it's easy to forget. We beat them at Wembley in the uh, Community Shield. We beat them at Wembley in the FA Cup final. We beat Manchester City in Wembley in the FA Cup final. We dominated Leicester. We dominated in the opening game. They scored on their three shots they had. But we really did dominate in attack. The Stoke match, we were unfortunate to lose that. I mean, not to rewrite history, or be revisionist here, but we dominated that. I mean, there is some. School of thought here that you could say where we've really struggled are, are against pressing teams, teams that contest the midfield aggressively and look to turn the ball over and and uh, hurt you in the transitions. Spurs away last season and Liverpool away this season are two worst performances in the back three by a wide margin and both embarrassing performances. Outside of that, there's been a lot of encouragement. Um, it's just hard to look past a performance like the one we had at Liverpool and and have a level head about it. And so, Tim, I guess... You know, what we saw here was was discipline, was organization, was more of the defensive solidity. I mean, they got behind us once in the first half with Pedro and then maybe caused us a few problems with uh, Hazard in the second half. But the back three seemed to have a better balance. And I guess what I am curious to know from you is, do you think that this performance reflected better discipline, better organization, better plan, or do you think that maybe we're reading too much into it, and that actually we match up relatively well, especially with the midfield Chelsea picked in the first half, um, that we don't get put under the same pressure uh, in midfield, and that without wanting to take away from the performance, that this is actually a game that suits us more than one like Liverpool.
3: Yeah, I think so, and I I think um, you can see that we've kind of got the measure of Conte's Chelsea. doesn't mean we're going to beat them every time we play them, because obviously they've got so much quality, but... You know, go, ever since Conte joined, we've kind of had the measure of them. We've had, um, with the exception of the game at Stamford Bridge last year, we've we've kind of we've we've outplayed them um, in most of the games, and a lot of them have been pretty tight. But we've been marginally the better team. So I think there is that. I think um, Michael Cox wrote a great piece on ESPN about this game, and he said the the really from his point of view particularly looking to write about this kind of thing he said this was fascinating because basically both teams exactly matched each other up and what you had was 10 one-on-one tussles huh. all over the pitch it's a good point uh, so you know you had Ramsey versus Conte Jacka uh, versus Fabregas and the wing backs going at each other and then you had like the three forwards matched on the three center halves on on both sides and it really was 10v10 individual battles, and um, I think in the first half, you know, we came out marginally better on that. Um, in the second half, you know, Chelsea tried to change it up a bit, they introduced Bakioko, which I think uh, made them slightly more secure. But then, uh, you know, at the end, they introduced Hazard and they slightly changed their shape to do that. And uh, that, that could have thrown us, but it didn't. And I think we actually coped quite well with that threat. And you know, we introduced El um to kind of to acknowledge the fact that they'd slightly changed shape and we needed to to push someone back in there um, to help out. So I, I think there were, you know, it, it kind of came down to, first of all, which side was going to blink? Um, because if you've got 10 perfectly matched players, you're looking for one of them to fall out of position once or twice. And it didn't happen that many times in the game. And there were, you know, there's only the Pedro chance where you look at, Kashane is a bit slow getting back into position. Mustafi doesn't quite get the offside call, uh, the offside trap right. Other than that, most of our players basically just didn't really make um, any silly errors, and um, not, neither did Chelsea really, with the kind of exception of the uh, the David Luiz sending off, which was you know just pretty mindless. But um, I, I think the reason I think we slightly edged the game, albeit I think a draw was a fair result, was because probably our standout players were slightly more standout than theirs. Um, And, yeah, I I include Ramsey in that. And one of the things Ramsey showed that I thought was really interesting, um, I mean, first of all, I I think that's why I like Ramsey so much, because I think there's this idea, and it might be an idea he's gotten into his head as well, that all he is is an attacking midfielder or goal-scoring midfielder. He's not. He's got everything. He's got absolutely everything. And I thought what was really interesting um, was that he was carrying the ball. Um, he had the most successful dribbles um, on the pitch. And that's not something I've really seen before. I've seen him keep the ball in tight spaces but not really beat players with quick feet. And he did that a few times. And that's um, that could be really, really interesting. And maybe if we can convince him um, that that's the sort of player he is, then, you know, we've... We've, we've really really got a player there but yeah to, to go back to your question yeah I, I do think there is an element to which this was a sort of game that suited us just because we've kind of got the measure of chelsea and that's what um i think i i, I went for a draw in my match preview because i i felt that arsenal do have the measure of chelsea the only doubt was on the mental side for Arsenal, would they just uh, go to Stamford Bridge and collapse? And they didn't. And once it was clear that they weren't going to do that, um, I thought we looked very strong, as we should do. Because you know, you look at the Arsenal and Chelsea squads. There's not a lot to choose. We shouldn't go to Stamford Bridge and feel inferior. And um, you know, on one hand, I think everyone's so keen not to be seen to be celebrating the result that. Um, maybe we don't quite give ourselves enough credit for it. I don't think there's a team in the world that would consider a nil-nil at Stamford Bridge um, a bad result. Even if Real Madrid went there in the first leg of a Champions League tie, they might expect to win. But if they got a nil-nil, they wouldn't go home crying about it. And um, I don't think there's a team in this league who wouldn't consider that a good result unless it was like April and they were five points behind and they had to win. Um and, you know, we, we went there and we, we actually showed for once that that we can match them for quality and we can better them for quality. But, yeah, I, I do still worry a little bit about those teams like like Spurs and Liverpool who, who really press us high up because with teams like that, um, you beat them by letting them have the ball. And Spurs have really struggled with that this season. Every team that, that just gives the ball up to them, they can't break down. But they played Everton and Borussia Dortmund... Um, have, you know, less than 40% possession and killed both of them. So, you know, and and obviously we're not going to do that. We're not going to play Liverpool and Spurs and just say you have the ball. So, yeah, I, d- I do think there is an element to which those games are still a bit of a concern.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look at the trouble we've gotten ourselves into this season. It's Shaka giving the ball away poorly in our own half. It's turnovers. It's, you know, it hasn't been when we're in our defensive shape getting broken down so much as it's been... When we have the ball, making uh, self-imposed mistakes and then having those mistakes taken advantage of in in the cruelest possible fashion, in in the case of games like Leicester uh, and Stoke. So, I think you know we, it is a question then of how this team can cope with a player like Alexis Sanchez who might turn the ball over twenty times um, if we don't have the shape and discipline and structure behind him to tolerate that. And one of the reasons why we've debated on this podcast whether center forward is really the only position. Where, not the only position, that's the wrong way to put it, but the best position to mitigate some of the risks of having him in the side. Um, Ultimately, I mean, the performance merited more than a draw, I think. On XG, I think it was saying like 1.1 to 0.7. I'm not saying that's any kind of dominance, but certainly we were good enough on the day to win it. We had uh, Lacazette had, I guess you call it maybe a half chance, a little more than the half chance from a Bellerin uh, cross that came from a brilliant Ramsey uh, uh, through ball. And then... There was the uh, Danny Welbeck header, obviously. Maybe he should have done a little bit better. There were a few other half chances in good situations that we didn't really convert into scoring chances. Of course, the biggest one is Ramsey off the post and Lacazette not converting from a position where a lot of people are saying he should have done better. I know on the Arscast, um, Arsbog was saying he'll regret that. I thought it was harder than people made it out to because of the way it kind of caught him. I don't think he hit it so much as it hit him, if that makes sense, Um But the chances were there in the first half, maybe less so in the second half. And when they changed systems, I think we struggled for a bit. Um, Ultimately, not able to push on for the win. And and the disappointment, I don't think, comes from getting a nil-nil draw at Stanford Bridge. But I think it comes from getting a draw in a situation where we looked like the team that was maybe more likely to win it. Um, Maybe not throughout the entirety of the second half, but certainly on the balance of the game. Um, One thing that I think is interesting, Clive, is Shaka's performances this season and his pass completion percentage is way down now he started last season uh, a little unevenly in terms of the manager using him but once he got into the side he was really very good and he played in a midfield trio at first where he saw less of the ball he made fewer passes i mean he was still a fulcrum but he made fewer passes and completed them at a higher percentage he had more options to give it to this season he's playing in midfield too he's passing a lot more than he was last season i think he's averaging almost 15 passes more a game uh, but his pass completion percentage is down to around uh, 80%. And, you know, I just wonder what you see there. I, you know, I, I for me, I think the fact that he has one less partner to give the ball to, that Ramsey is often moving forward, and as a result, um, he's a progressive passer. He doesn't look to give it to the center backs, and so he's playing higher, uh, lower percentage passes. You know, if you look at Cesc Fabregas, in fact, his last two seasons at Arsenal, his pass completion percentage in the league was 79% and 80%. Um, Shaq's key passes are way up this season, about 65% more. And I I will go small sample size klaxon here. I fully acknowledge that. But, you know, it it all just plays into this idea that he's a progressive passer. He has fewer options in midfield to give it to. And as a result, he's playing the lower percentage uh, forward passes. So it may be a little cruel, especially because he's had some high profile mistakes but on the day you know, I again he's missing some passes, but I thought his positioning was pretty good and he still can hurt the opposition with with his ability to break lines. I mean, what did you think of him in this game and are you starting to have a concern about how he's performed this season overall?
2: Uh not not at all, Joyce. um honestly not at all. I think um it's interesting how we judge him. So when we when we didn't know anything about him, we looked at his passing stats and we, we looked at his size and we thought, okay, we're going to get somebody who's quite defensive, quite solid, okay. and and passes a lot. So that's our that's our success criteria. There, done.
1: We should have known but, because Arsene bought him that that's not the player we were getting at all.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. We got we got a bit confused by some of the stupid finger statements. I swear he does that sometimes just to let people know that he's cleverer than all of us and we can't read him. Yeah. Well, it's, ob- it's obvious what sort of body he's got and what he is. So um, he needs to have the game in front of him and that's all that matters, right? So, um, so I, I look at him and, again, I see... Have, have you not noticed his work rate going up? His work rate to me is going up by the, by, the, by the game. He's really working hard. He's really working laterally. and I, I sort of judge him on that. I think he's. I, I I look at it and think you're you're working hard. You are engaged. The the thing we should measure him on is when he gets dispossessed and where he gets dispossessed because that's a concentration thing. And what happens when he gets dispossessed when he dives in? That's the thing I'm more worried about than the amount of passes because. I love the way we're rat-a-tatting our way out of of the... um, You know, I talk about exit strategies. We are one-touch passing down the sides to our wing-backs, and that's where our risk is, in the wide areas. So we've moved away from slow passing across the centre and getting caught and getting broken against to rat-a-tat down the sides and getting in behind people. It makes it no surprise, since we got our wing-backs in the right place, on the right foot that suddenly we look really, really dangerous. And because they look so good, our midfielders can tuck in, and because our midfielders look so Kentucky in, we look, we've got more bodies in that central area. And so, Shaka, yes, he may be, his pass statistics may be lower, but it's a great shout about the key passes. He's he's now part of a collective and a, and a working unit. And to me, he's an important part. It does slightly make him more replaceable in this type of a game. Someone else could potentially do that, and someone else is on there, and he could do that job as well. But I just think Shaka's range is better a bit more creative, a bit more quality, and a bit more risk. I feel sometimes as the ball's travelling to El Nenny, he's already decided what pass he's going to choose. When well, maybe the picture's changed, there's a, a more adventurous pass on, but he turns away from that because he's made his mind up early. Sometimes that's great, but sometimes you think, go on, mate, there's a runner, just got off your left shoulder, pop it round the corner. But he don't, he'll pop it back because he's already decided. Whereas Shaka will take that risk. The ball goes. The ball goes away fine, but I think we had ten shots in the first half, or ten or ten.
1: yeah, ten shots. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and that at Chelsea, that will do me. And he's part of that machine. So I look at the collective and and think we're we're getting into areas to hurt them. And another thing, we talk about um, presence, and we talk about Erzul. Tim was talking about earlier on. I thought physically we looked quite good on the pitch. I don't know how it felt in the ground, team, but sometimes you look at Arsenal and we look, we look weak in these games. We look physically weak. Oh. I didn't feel that. I didn't feel that at all. I that he's a unit. And just his presence made people think different. Obviously, Kolasinic is a unit. Bellerin's a great athlete. And I just felt physically we, we were good. We closed them and we sprinted to the ball. And if, if we're celebrating something today, it's not so much the result. It's the fact, it's the performance, and the fact we respected both sides of the game. Well, that it was intelligent, it was
1: focused, it was professional. Each player seemed to do their job. You know, Tim referenced zonal marking, saying it was like 11 one on ones or 10 one on ones in the outfield. In order to win that battle, all 10 players have to be switched on and focusing, right? They do.
2: You have, to, you have to respect the off the ball game, and sometimes we don't do that we don't as a, do that. As That's a team, a as a club. And mm-hmm. an off the ball, we respected it. And actually, Tim, I know, I know, Pedro got a knock, but they had to bring back a Yorker on because what Iwobi Ramsey were doing—they were three for two. They we, they were killing it in there, so they brought on a centre mid. They didn't bring on a forward, they brought on a centre mid to go three for three in midfield because we were dominating. And it did slow down our our chance creation, right? It did slow us down. But that means they're reacting to what we're doing. It's been a while since we said that for a top six away game. Right? So... We were imposing
1: our game on them and they were reacting to us instead of vice
2: versa. And I feel... And Tim's got a good point about Conte's Chelsea. I don't... I honestly don't feel we've got an inferiority complex against them. I think we can. I think we can take them if we respect. If we respect these teams off the ball, then it becomes a talent game on the ball, and that's what we're built for. So we just need to focus on the other side first, and then be a bit more pragmatic, and then show what we've got. We were a little unlucky in some execution in the, in the box where we had our, our purple patch. If we had scored when we were hot. I think we'd have won that game. Yep. I think, and I know a last little point sorry, if Welbeck had stayed on that pitch, I still think we'd have won it. Well, it I would think have that been interesting. Was a key moment. It would have been That's interesting, especially moment.
1: down to 10 men. I mean, once Chelsea went down to 10 men, I think you really felt that Giroud kind of gummed things up. And we'll get to the substitutions and the impact uh, or lack of impact that they made. But, you know, one thing to note about Shaka, too, and we talked about this last season when it was Shaka and Ramsey at first in the, in the back three, They were alternating. Shaka would go, Ramsey would stay. Ramsey would go, Shaka would stay. They'd alternate dropping deep or they'd stay parallel. Now they're playing a little bit more perpendicular. Um, That probably doesn't make sense. Let me say that a different way. Ramsey's position is a few yards further ahead than Shaka. And so Shaka is tasked with picking the ball up off the back three every time. Of being the, the entry point to all of the attacks, to all of midfield. He is where the defenders look... Unless they're going wide, they look to give the ball to him. And so he's got a lot of pressure to make the right choice with really only one midfield partner. So, I mean, it's either back to the center backs or it's a pass that's a high, high level of difficulty. And, you know, he hasn't been completing the same percentage this season. And when, when it's gone wrong, it's been a problem for us. But I, I still think he's doing a great job with that responsibility. Um, I still think we missed that one more escapable body in midfield, someone who can dribble and carry the ball. But we've covered that enough. And, uh, you know, I've got a lot of hobby horses, and that's one of them. In any event, um, yeah, so we, we didn't convert the chances, but we, I thought we showed improvement defensively, and, you know, ultimately, the, the thing that you can't help but notice, Tim, is the improvement in our wing back play. Um, not just uh, Kolasinac. I guess now he wants to be Kolasinac again. I I don't, how do you keep up with this? Um, <laughs> Kolasinac and, and, and Bellerin, and, How important do you think it is, Tim, just the common sense of playing a left wing back at left wing back, having Bellerin back in his natural position, having them in positions where they feel comfortable and can thrive? Um, I mean, you hate to sort of kick the manager after the fact, but we're really seeing the foolishness in hindsight now of the Oxlade-Chamberlain experiment because of the performances we're getting from Bellerin and and Kolasinac.
3: Yeah, I don't even think it's in hindsight. I, I still struggle to understand what that well, was all yeah, about. Well, yeah, we yelled than, about
1: it at the time. Good point. That's true. Yeah. That's
3: true. <laughs> yeah, other than trying to keep Chamberlain happy by playing in a position he doesn't want to play anyway. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, I'd i love to get Arsene to explain that one, but like explain it honestly and not get defensive and say, I made a, a million team selection decisions and I, I'd really like to get an honest answer from
1: and him. And none are worse than that one. <laughs>
3: Um, but yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, Kolasinac is... Um, I, I understand that one of them is the Bosnian way and one of them is the German way of pronouncing it. I forget which way around it is. Hence the reason there's two different pronunciations. But anyway, um, Barney Roney wrote a really great piece in The Guardian today about uh, Kolasinac. And um, he was saying like how much he's added in an attacking sense for Arsenal... Um, because because of his physicality, and I know it's like it's the, the great thing about the article is that it doesn't quite fall into that tired old oh Arsenal are weak and easily bullied kind of trope. It, it, but it does acknowledge you know you need physical presence and Kalasenac has a lot of it, and he's kind of saying that um, you know because English crowds um, can be quite meat and potatoes, a player like that. Uh, gives the crowd a lift, but he also gives the team a little lift. And uh, you know, Barney Rone was writing about how like two of Chelsea's most powerful players um, tried to go in for him in, in in the opening minutes of the game and just bounced off of him, and that, that kind of gives everyone a little bit of a lift. And um, I think one of one of the things he's really added with Kalasinac, I think he, he he had a really high number of assists. Um, in the Bundesliga last season, and that's largely because he played in midfield. Um, apparently, a lot of a lot of last season, and and the way I see him at the moment for Arsenal, is not really in a defensive sense at all. Um, I think Monreal is is really covering that that kind of left centre back, left back position really well. But Kalasnach is really adding something in an attacking sense, and you guys have covered it with his kind of delivery and the way he's very precise in the final third. Um, and he really, really, he had quite a decent chance um, at the end as well, We found a really nice pocket of space but just took a, a touch slightly wide um, and, and I think he's he's really really added something going forward because he always tries to find the byline but the, the thing is about Arsenal as well, because of the types of teams and the types of tactics that we face quite a lot um, just having a guy who can mow through people is really, really valuable to us and one of the reasons I think Oxley chamberlain survived as long as he did was because he was pretty much the only player we had that would just take someone on and try and power past them. The difference is with Chamberlain, it relied a lot on pace and you know his touch and his delivery and everything else um, being spot on and not all of those things always came together. But with Kolasinac, it's, it is just pure power. Um, a lot of it, but when with the ball, you know, he treats the ball like a friend. But um, whoever's in the way of it, like an enemy. Um, and he's just really got that solid. Um, it never looks like a foul. You know, it always just looks like muscle. Like he's just muscled someone. It never looks like he's fouled someone. He's got that that real kind of um, that that kind of really impressive physicality about him. And it's it's something power. Power exactly, to yeah, power. yeah, and. And you know what? It's it's something. It's not a skill set that's replicated really elsewhere in our squad. Like I like I I don't mind Monreal at wing back at all. I mean I think he's just a really good player. Um, all in. In fact, um, I've long suspected uh, that Monreal could play in midfield because uh, of his technical level.
1: Pretty sure um, he can play anywhere. Well, he's just he's a remarkable utility player for us defensively.
3: Yeah, great, yeah, great great player. I I know like it's it's um it's a real rightly so it's a running joke this um. Uh, you know insert name of Arsenal defender he could be a DM um, <laughs> but actually th- quietly I've always thought that Monreal could probably do that job at a push but um, yeah but like Monreal's not necessarily going to create you many goals I think Kolasinac I wouldn't be surprised if he, he racked up quite a few assists this year and I know I said it I think on the post Leicester pod I'm really looking forward to the, um, the the potential team up between him and Alexis I think that could be frightening down that left-hand side when you've got that kind of level of, uh, the, you know, the speed and the physicality and the speed of thought. And, you know, Alexis likes to play that ball towards the byline and that's exactly where Kolasin actually likes to run. And I wouldn't be surprised if, if Venger bought him with that partnership in mind as well. So, yeah, I'm, I, and, you know, obviously whenever you get a new player and they're in the honeymoon period, you you look for all their good qualities um, but, you know, I'm, I'm really enthused about Kolasinac. I think he's really added something.
1: Yeah, and I think ultimately Bellerin just looks better. And, I mean, he, he yeah. obviously has a point to prove when he plays Chelsea now. Um, I don't know if you guys saw the classy, tasteful video that yeah. uh, Chelsea put up that was basically a highlight reel of 82 angles of Alonso elbowing Bellerin in the head from the official Chelsea uh, Twitter account. Clive, you catch that one? They sure. Nice. Yeah.
2: I did should I do a new one now when Bellerin done three one twos past Alonso. Alonso was running back with his head nodding trying to catch him. Yeah. Completely being outrun because Bellerin has absolutely killed him now for three games on the track. Three trot. games, yeah. He has absolutely. killed him. He has absolutely put him to sleep. And um and I do believe and Tim's talk about colour physical presence. I you know, it's it means something. It sends messages. When we lined up in that game, we looked like men on that team. We looked like men, and we look and we played like men. And it, I'm sorry, away at Chelsea, you've just got to do that. You've just got to do that. And once you do that, people realise you're not here to mess about. And as soon as we had our first chance, we was away. We yeah. was away, and um, and it, and, it, and it's good, right? It's basics. I know sometimes. I don't like to. I know teams just like to talk about the intangibles, right? But trust me, from someone who's brought up in non-league, you can. As soon as you walk on the pitch and you see the other team, you think, "Yeah, look at them. They're weak. We're having them today," and and that's it. And as soon as they saw our team and saw our players, all I was thinking, "Wow, we've got it on. Let's see what they've got." And as soon as we we don't fall away, we don't fall away from our challenges. We keep our shape, keep our discipline, keep pushing forward. Have confidence to push forward as a collective unit. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw it. On Match of Day 2 last night, there was a average position map.
1: Yeah, Adrian of, Clark put that up on the breakdown also, and it looked like yeah, yeah. exactly how you would have drawn it up pre-match. Everybody in their it, position.
2: It, I've never seen nothing like it. If you could name the team, write the formation down, it was exactly as as it was written down. I mean, that is a huge praise for the, the team. the and manager.
1: You know what I mean there yeah. there weren't those gaps there weren't the, you didn't see the the midfield 20 yards ahead of the center backs it was really nice exactly. to see. Exactly. Yeah
2: was like you went you a style I mean you do your job properly do your area don't do everyone else's job do your area dominate that and we go from there and that's that's what football is but we just got away from them fundamentals I think we all reacted to liverpool me included like the world was ending but we just put that down to the fact we had an unhappy dressing room through to the transfer window being open. We had players who wanted to go. The manager made some decisions trying to keep people maybe wrongly. We know he doesn't care about the first couple of games in the season. He sees it as a much longer year. The season doesn't really start to window closes. I swear that's what he thinks because we've not started the season well for five, six years. So um I think maybe now we just got to put it down to the facts. Rather than oppressing Liverpool, let's put it down to an unhappy Arsenal. And that team that started against Chelsea was a team in the main that wants to be there. And it's interesting that they were very collective. And I don't know what you think, Tim. We've heard rumours about Koscielny and Ramsey not getting on with Sanchez. It's quite interesting. Sanchez doesn't start, and the best two—you you know, could—you could argue with Mustafi and Monreal—that the best two players were Ramsey and Kachelle. They just took over the team, led the team. And say we can do this without you. And I think it's I think there's some interesting dynamics going on in that dressing room. Or maybe it's just me and my intangibles going no, off in on the I, I don't again. hate it.
1: I, I will say this. I am I am reluctant to care if players get on or don't get on. I can't imagine there were many people that liked Diego Costa in Chelsea's dressing room, but they certainly had no problem watching him score the goals they needed to win them a title. Um, I think especially with strikers or forwards They can be mercurial, they can be pouty, they can be like Cristiano Ronaldo and not a team player if they're getting the business done because they are less integral to the sort of team concept, especially in an Arsene Wenger system. I mean, you know, if you're someone like Pep Guardiola or Klopp or Pochettino, every single piece has to be in the right place. But I think at Arsenal, okay, if the two central midfielders hate each other or two center backs want to punch each other in the face, that could be disruptive on the pitch. I think when you have a soloist like Alexis... As long as he's doing his thing, I'm not sure it matters. What I will tell you is I think it's an open question. The, the jury is out on whether the Liverpool result was... I, I mean, there's no question that the fullback situation and Oxlade-Chamberlain and the window being open impacted it. There's no question. I think there is some question about how we're going to respond to being pressed in midfield still. I, I I don't know that we're ready to handle that. And I go back to that Spurs away game and how embarrassed we were there as well last season in the but back
2: three. Don't you think Chelsea pressed us yesterday, though, Really, I thought they did. Mm. I thought we covered it really well. I don't, I thought I don't we think they it really pressed.
1: Well. I mean, I I think... I don't think that they pressed. I, it was one-on-one pressure, right? I mean, man-marking pressure, not counter-pressing, not two men stepping over, pressing you into the, you know, against the boundary, a, a second, a third man stepping up to cut off the passing lanes, and then quick transitions. I mean, Chelsea aren't a team that give you the ball the way... Liverpool and Spurs yes, do that's that's um, the
2: difference That's the difference. you took the words out of my mouth Spurs will give you the ball as soon as you get it they'll play off your touch and yeah. they'll wait for your mistake and then go from there uh, aldovarro has got the most long passes in the whole of the Premiership they go back to front give it to you they challenge for that first ball as soon as we get it they go on the second ball third phase and nick it high and go from there and that puts your exit plan under under real under real pressure. Right? I mean, so that is a difference. You're absolutely right.
1: I mean, honestly, I I think, you know, ultimately for us, it, it is a question of when it's two versus three in midfield, how we cope. And yesterday it was two versus two, and our two were better. Um, and and I like those chances because I don't think Conte technically has the quality to play in a two-man midfield against us, and and that's been the case the last three matches. Um, we we got to get to the subs. I you know I think. The second half, it started to get away from us a little bit. They did bring back Ioko in. They did start to take control of midfield a little bit. We did start to fade from the game as a force. And then the manager made the changes, and I'm, I'm not sure they were necessarily the ones that we wanted to see. I mean, it's tough for me because whenever I'm critical of rude people just cry agenda. But I thought in this case, that probably wasn't the right move. Um and, and Tim, I think, I suspect, based on just following your Twitter feed, that you kind of agree. What did you think of the subs and, in particular, Giroud's influence or lack thereof in the game?
3: To, to be honest, I kind of understood bringing on Giroud on at that point because he was the last substitute and um, it was a choice between him or Walcott. And to be honest, I'd, I'd probably rather see Giroud um, in that situation. I, I you know, um, I don't, I just, the way Walcott played um, on Thursday night, I don't know. He just doesn't. He had, you know, he's one of those players we all know. He has his uses, um, and he's technically very limited. But at the moment, I'm not even sure he has um, his uses in in this formation. And um, I also, I, you know, I, I think that he's hit the Kieran Gibbs comfort zone um, at this point, and I don't think he cares too much about playing. And I think he's, he's you know. So you're it's, saying it's it was the much. better,
1: the better of the the two yeah. suboptimal choices he had to make.
3: It was, yeah, yeah, in my opinion. But I do you think, think if Danny hadn't gotten injured, he
1: would have made that that switch? Maybe not until the
3: last couple yeah. of minutes, maybe. But if there's one threat that Chelsea can deal with from Arsenal, I'm afraid it's Olivier Giroud. Um,
1: well, and by the way, it's, it's interesting because he had put Alexis at center forward, and and yeah. I was, you know, my eyes lit up. I said, all right, we're going to get to see how this works. He hadn't done it in ages, and that lasted about, what, two minutes?
3: Yeah, and it was interesting that he put Alexis up front because that and kept Welbeck where he was because that was a real acknowledgement that, no, I want to keep the structure, and Alexis is the player most likely to disrupt the structure, therefore I'm going to put him in a position where that has the least impact defensively. So that was almost... You know, it, it's too much to call it a defensive decision, but that was very much about keeping that structure in place and keeping Welbeck where he was. Um, I do think that maybe he'd have taken Welbeck off anyway, just because he gets through a lot of work in a game like this. I, but that I think the one I'd question is I would have taken Iwobi off before Lacazette. I understand what he's doing with Lacazette. I understand that um, you know he's and he's looking long term here as well. He's trying to build him up to the intensity of the Premier League. And I, I get that. And, um, you know, Lacazette, um, you know, did fade a little bit, perhaps in the second half, although he's he's not, he's not never hugely involved.
1: Well, Iwobi um, fades but, badly. I mean, that's sort of a feature of his game. Yeah, he, he really exactly. noticeably drops in the last 15, 20 minutes.
3: Exactly. I, I thought on balance that Iwobi was fading more than Lacazette. Um, and, and then it was just unfortunate that Welbeck got injured and we lost you know, all of the pace we had on the break. And, you know, when Giroud came on, yeah, it was all of our attacks went to him to die again. And, you know, there's that really frustrating point where Ramsey was streaking away on the right. And this is why I'd have kept Lacazette on, because those spaces were beginning to open up a little bit. But Giroud, because he always likes the first time ball, you know, he he just played it straight backwards. Instead of you know, whereas I think if Lacazette had received the ball in that situation, he would turn in face, yeah. It, yeah, it had turned and and, slipped, and tried to slip the ball in, um, and yeah, and I think you know Chelsea have just got the measure of Olivier Giroud. So I, I think and I think the the decision eventually to bring El Nenny on as a response to Hazard coming on was was perfectly good. I think that was a good decision, and it worked. Um, yeah, I, it's just that first one. I'd I'd have taken uh, it won't be before I took Lacazette off personally.
1: Yeah, and I I think you know in fairness you make a good point. I mean, I can look at this with hindsight and say they went down to ten men, and having Giroud on there didn't really suit us. But it's also possible that with the choice being Theo and Giroud, and with it looking like maybe we were going to have to bet into weather a little bit of a storm to see the game out at that point. You know, I think they had kind of. Grabbed the impetus a little bit at that stage. And maybe he felt that that was just the safer option. We could kick long if we needed to hold the ball up, relieve the pressure a little bit. Um, obviously that's not really how it played out, especially when Luis went off. So, you know, th- things just didn't necessarily go the way he had anticipated. The good news obviously was that uh, Kolasinac got up. Uh, the man is made of, you know, steel, titanium, whatever it is, and, and carried on. Um, Clive, you know we haven't really talked about the back three individually and and how they they worked as a unit and who who the back three is the first choice back three has sort of been an open question this season. I mean you have Mustafi now who that's,
2: that's closed. Who, well, that it's, it's closed. closed. I mean, it's
1: kind of ironic. You had a guy who you know wanted out and who the manager seemed happy to let go and now he's sort of the captain of the defense, so to speak. I mean, the manager has said that he's a good organizer. I mean, he made the one mistake. He should have stepped up when Koscielny got caught up the pitch a little bit on a clearance and Pedro got him behind. But otherwise, I thought he did all right. For me, the problem with Mustafi is he still wants to go to ground a lot. And you can tell me, Clive, because you, you've played the game and uh, I have observed the game, so you would know it better than I would. Um, I, a I feel like a well, that's the thing. I feel like a defender who likes to go to ground, who wants to make that intervention that way, is doing it because he doesn't back himself the longer that that duel or that situation plays out. That if he stays on his feet, he's going to get beat or he's going to get outrun or he's going to get out bullied because to me going to ground is a it's a roll of the dice. You get the ball or you get embarrassed, right? Um, yep. So, and-
2: so you're taught you're taught to stay on your feet, right? You, because I've, once I've heard you, that you line go once to or ground, <laughs> if you go to ground, sorry, if you go to ground and you don't get the ball, you're out the game, right? So that's what you're that's what you're taught to do. I personally used to ignore that, and I don't mind players that do it, as long as they do it at the right times. So again, it's a style it's a stylistic thing. Monreal's another one that presses very well into the opponents. He's what you know, they're both front foot defenders. They, the thing about the three of them is that Mustafi's probably the most front foot of all, but the three of them are flexible in wide areas, and they are flexible over their shoulder as well on the back foot. So we've got three sort of multifunctional defenders there. And uh, Mustafi, he's the Flamini of our team. He's a pointer and shouter. And it, I don't know... How'd that work out for Flamini? To, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but he seems to have liberated Koscielny to be absolutely focused on his man and his job to be aggressive and then to cover around. Um, and with Mustafi, again, if, if a defender pushes in, as soon as you see your your partner pushing in, you your other player should just immediately cover around. And and that's what they were doing. We just got caught once. And um, I, I, that back three is very nicely balanced. And in some ways, it hides some of, I think, Koscielny's quicker in wide areas. Monreal's quicker than Mustafi in wide areas. So Mustafi can read it. And so his pace, although it's, he's not bad, but he's not as sharp. He can read it, so he can read it and he can start his runs ahead of time. He can step in and be aggressive. He can pass. I love. I like the balance. It's the best we have. It, it's the best we have. I am a fan of the back three. There's been lots of calls for a back four. But what people are really saying... As I said last week, three is a number, right? It's a back three. People think, well, to get a three in midfield, we need a back four. Well, we showed yesterday, you can get three in midfield with a back three if you have the right player doing the right job and your win-back's doing one-and-a-half jobs. And that's what we had yesterday. So Welbeck tucked in with Wobbe. And so we literally had four on three in there. And because those Wobbe and Welbeck are so energetic That allowed us to really overload in all different areas of the park. And our back line could then look at their targets and just step forward and smash them. And I I thought they were absolutely brilliant. And when they received the ball, they all looked comfortable. And and I I am a fan of this formation. I think it brings out the best in those three players, and that gives us the platform that we need.
1: Yeah, it's, it's tough because you could say, well, maybe it's horses for courses because this formation clearly worked on the day against Chelsea, for example, there have been games where it looks deficient. But I don't think you can be changing your system game to game um, and be successful. I mean, there are some teams that maybe make tweaks like that. I don't know that Arsene Wenger tactically is the kind of manager for that. And I don't know that this team has the tactical intelligence over the years it has been drilled by him to be changing
2: systems. I think we're improving. Game game. Well, I mean, think we're you, improving.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, I think the switch to a back four from a back three mid-game is usually being done as a all-out attack, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think that's a pretty easy instruction. <laughs> it's, you know, get the extra man in midfield, get the extra attacker on the pitch and get forward. Um, it's a little different when you're doing it from the start. The, the The question, I guess, is, you know, why Mustafi is the center of the back three instead of Koscielny. And for me, what I see is that the central defender of the back three should be your best passer, your best with the ball at his feet. And I think Mustafi is definitely that and that the more of the crisis defending and more of the challenging individual defending is actually done by the two wider centre-backs, especially in back three, yep. because your wing-backs push up, and occasionally that space gets exploited. We've seen ourselves get hurt from wide positions. So, Clive, I mean, do you think the the choice of Koscielny and Monreal as the wider of the centre-backs is actually because more of the defensive work falls to them?
2: Absolutely, and they're, they're slightly better athletes. They're slightly better... Better decision I mean, Kishel, makers
1: Kishelny, in
2: one on ones. Sure yeah, exactly. They're better decision makers in one on ones. Um, Mustafi, I think also is a communicator, right? and it's obvious. I think it's smart. We did we did it a couple of times last season as well. It's not the it's not the first time, but we, I watched these against Bournemouth, and I thought they looked smooth that day, and they looked smooth on and off the ball. And we've gone up a level here, and I thought they were tremendous. And I, I don't see any issue with it. Every now and again, I, when we're under a bit of pressure, I think, oh, get Koscielny get in the middle. You know, get him back in the middle, because I, I trust him there. But we need to trust what they, what he's trying to do. And I I think the three of them really play on the ball well. And if you, if you compare the Chelsea three, I, I honestly believe that David Luiz is a very special player, in my opinion. And, and that's what's quite is a great one-on-one defender. But we now, if you go man for man, you know, we're talking about Cahill, L- Louise, Asper Aquetta. Our three, okay, They're, they're we're at different age spectrums. We've got a couple there, just over 30. But right now, at this moment in time, if we can get some a bit more game time out of them, I think it's a lot better than people think. People don't rate Monreal. Well, I rate him massively. Mustafi's coming back to form. That was the um, that was one we weren't sure about. And Kishelny is always good when he's fit. So I think Mustafi holds a lot. He holds a lot in this team. He's one of those 24-year-olds again. You haven't got many of those in that age bracket. I hope that he settles down at the club and wants to stay. Because I think he's a I think he's a really good player,
1: yeah. I, I mean, it'll be interesting because he clearly didn't want to stick around London this summer, and you'd hate to see a twenty four year old that you're making the center of your back three, sort of the anchor of the defense, be a guy who every summer is going to agitate to leave. Tim, I mean, is yeah. is your sort of your take on the the back three the same, that you like Mustafi in the middle, that this is the the settled yeah. back three for now, and that this is the system that gets the most out of the the parts individually?
3: Yeah, absolutely agree. You know, because Mustafi does that kind of hybrid um, midfield defender thing, and yeah, he likes to slide about. And, and also, Mustafi's not great in the channels because he leaves his feet too often. Yeah. Um, and yeah. he gets drawn into silly fouls out there, whereas Kashelny and Monreal generally much more alive to spaces, much more alive to both of them very good at covering full-backs. I mean, Kashelny. In a back four, you know, is doing that constantly for, for our left-backs down the years, just covering that channel, being alive to danger. So I think everyone in that back three is is suited to exactly where they are. And I think also what you have then in reserve, um, I think, you know, Sacker is also suited to that kind of central role. Um, I think, you know, Callum Chambers could be as well. Um, and But then, like, holding... Particularly at this stage of his development, is very much one of um, one of the side defenders, as it were. Um, and so was Gabriel. Gabriel was uh, was quite good in that right channel. So I, I think it does kind of um, it does suit the players we have. Um, I, I'm I'm still attracted to the idea of just having the extra body in midfield. But to be honest, it's it, there's not that much difference in it. And you know we looked at Elneny there in pre-season and, and really all I'd be looking at is playing Elneny but having him like five, ten yards further up the pitch. Mm. Um, so it's not, it's not a huge difference really, I don't think. I think it could be a bit of a horses for courses thing. I take your point about you can't change the formation every game. I do think you can have two or three up your sleeve for a certain type of game. I think you can have like You can group teams a little bit. So have a plan for, you know, Liverpool and Spurs, for example, who are broadly similar. Have a plan for the team that's going to come to the Emirates and sit 10 behind the ball. And then have a plan for the game uh, like this one where you're fairly evenly matched and you might have to go toe-to-toe.
1: I mean, maybe could could the plan just be the personnel you use within the system? I mean, for example if you put Ramsey into the front three, you play a back three against a pressing team, but you use Ramsey in one of those, you know, two behind the striker positions and instruct him mm. to stay more connected to Elneny Shaka in midfield. So you get that extra body in there, or you use a Woby like we did against Chelsea, right? I mean, you can, yeah. through that personnel, you can add the traits that you want for the game. The thing that scares me is when you come up against teams like Liverpool or, uh, Spurs, who are really well drilled and know what they want to do down to you know every yard of the pitch. Do you want your players in a situation where they're feeling a little unsure of their positioning or their role? Um, you know, I think that's um, not you... if
3: you not not if you spend the time um, with it and you and you, you kind of get the players buying. One one of the, I think um, the 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 ways in which Alex Ferguson really really evolved in his last few years. You watch United. Um, in these games, once he realised that United weren't streets ahead in terms of personnel anymore and the likes of Chelsea and Man City became a threat, he, he used to go to these teams with a plan and he used to go and he wasn't afraid of changing the formation and changing the personnel. And it got to a stage where it was really difficult to predict what Man U's starting lineup would be when they went to places like Stamford Bridge. And there'd always be a surprise in there somewhere you'd think, oh, oh, he's playing, that's weird, or he's left someone out that's quite weird. And, you know, he wasn't afraid to have um, a, a specific plan uh, for that type of game. Um, but, of course, you know, his strength was he got his players to buy into it, to believe yeah. in it. And um, that's that's what you've got to do, whether whether it's a, a drilling them thing or whether it's um, getting their buy-in and their belief and how much those two things mesh together is is probably the question.
2: Yeah, can I just say one thing yeah, on top in. of that? I think Tim's absolutely right. We, we we as fans, we've got to get comfortable. We talk about having a plan and we talk about tactics on here and we analyse things. But, you know, I said last week about dropping Ozil for this game and I just watched him have an MON performance versus Bournemouth. Uh, I, as soon as I said it, I just, I just, I not I don't get much abuse on Twitter, right? So, but people say, "Clive, you made a mistake." Obviously, Errol's not in the team. So we say we want this tactical flexibility, but long as long as our favourites are all out there, right? So, and that, that's not right. That's not right. We've had, we've got a big enough sample size to realise now that Errol doesn't do well in in Southwest London, and Northwest England. Right? We we know we know that. We've seen it now for three or four years. There's no shame in it. He's a brilliant player. He's got all the medals that he needs. But you know what? Maybe we got a young kid in our team with a massive backside that can sprint around and move the ball. Not quite as good as you, but he can do a job and physically match them in areas and where we what we need today. And that's great. And Urzall's ready for the next game, right? And we gotta get comfortable as a, as a fan group with that. And, and and what we're seeing now with the manager, he's actually got three or four different formations and systems in his top pocket now that he didn't have a year ago. Yeah, and I, that's the truth.
1: My my only issue with the Ozil thing is, I'm you know look, if you say you want to drop Ozil so you can move Ramsey into that two behind the striker, or if you say you want to drop Alexis to get Awobi in there because you want more control, those are things I understand. I feel like Awobi for Ozil. I don't know that Iwobi does that much more out of possession than Ozil does, and I think in yeah. possession it's clear how much you lose on the creative side. I'm not trying to undermine Wobi's performance. I think Awobi did well. It is easy to forget yeah. that Ozil had a near man of the match performance in the cup final against Chelsea. So I mean, yeah. it's you know it's
2: you it, know what I think it is you know I think uh, Stamford Bridge is a very it's, it's not a big area it's not a big pitch it's quite a compressed space and it does I'm not saying he can't do it I just feel he can get pressed off the ball. He yeah. can get pressed off the ball. Having that physicality just to retain possession in a different way. I'm not questioning the man's talent. I'm not questioning his man's talent in any way or form. I just felt we needed a little bit more energy and zip and physical presence for a team which, based when they smashed us last year at Stamford Bridge, they beat us up physically. Yeah. They, over, they overpowered us. Gary Neville using the word like, they've just been battered. They battered Arsenal. And that stuck with me. That really upset me, that Bellerin, that Alonso goal. And it really bothered me. I mean, for the record, that's not battering. That's fouling. But, you know. That's fouling. But we were the only people that seemed to see it. It's like we deserved it. It's like we deserved it for being soft old Arsenal. we, We weren't soft yesterday. We went there with a team, with a plan, and we weren't soft. And I'm celebrating that today. I really am celebrating that. We won the duels. Because- I
1: mean, Murata won something like 34% of his duels. I, You know, I mean, we, we won the duels. We were touch tight when the ball was entered. To your point about being physical, you know where I really think that showed itself, Clive? and uh, Adrian Clark highlighted this on the breakdown, the entry ball, the ball into Murata, the ball into the forwards, that's where oh, the center where backs it? showed up, where Mustafi would come through the back of Murata and take the ball and take the man. And, you know, sometimes it's that's a foul, but that was key to not letting them, because is great at ke- getting the ball, giving it quickly, turning and running in behind. We didn't give them the chance yeah. to do that. We were touch tight when the ball came into the forwards.
2: And we did the same to Costa in the cup final. Rob Holding did it. We deployed him on him. Right. So a kid that's really shaky at the moment. We gave him a job. He did that job and we won the cup final. Yeah. Right. So so again, sometimes we, again we go back to young players. We've got to help them. We've got to help Holding. We've got to help him. I wanted him loaned a week ago. He's back in the team now. Do a job. He's back in he's back in everyone's good books again. Right. So um we had a plan. And we we executed it. And I think Tim makes a good point. We've got the measure of this team. We've got the measure of Chelsea. I'm not worried about Liverpool. We just seem to go there unprepared. Something seems to happen in our club. We haven't gone there prepared for a while. We haven't played them prepared. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Liverpool and, and Spurs game to see if we can have the right person on the pitch with the right system, with the right physicality and hmm. intensity. I think we can take them. A, I think our quality is higher.
1: That makes one of us. So, um... Yeah, no, I'm not looking forward to those matches at all. Give me uh, Bournemouth at home 37 more times. That'd be great. Uh, no, So two more quick topics I think we have to get to. And one is just the, the Welbeck injury and what this means. And Tim, I mean... It's so tough, right? Because on the one hand, here I am on the pod saying, I want to see Alexis Ozil and Lacazette in our front three because I think that's our path to achieving the most this season. On the other hand, because I like to undermine my own points and contradict myself at every opportunity, I think Danny Welbeck is hugely important to what we do on the pitch. He's become mm-hmm. one of those players that makes himself impossible to drop with his running and his pressing and his chaos. You know, it, Yaya Sanogo gave Bayern Munich trouble as weird as that sounds because he's just lanky and quick and kind of physical. And they didn't know where he was going to pop up arguably because neither did Yaya Sanogo. Danny Welbeck is a, a more refined version of that. He, he pops up in places you don't expect. He presses you when you don't expect it. He's on you faster than you think he can be. He bodies you off the ball, but then he can also do a step over and get by you. He's got a, a aerial presence. I mean, you know, maybe doesn't convert them as much as he should unless they hit off his shoulder or his shin or he's falling over. But, I mean, at this point, it looks like he's going to be out for a while. So my two questions are, one, how hard will it be to replace what he does, and is Alexis going to be that natural solution, or do you think the manager will look for a plan B?
3: Yeah, Welbeck's a real Swiss Army knife of a player, and I think Wenger described him last week as a manager's player. Um, and I think that's exactly right. And Ferguson always used to pick him for big games as well. Um, because you know you don't always have to pick the most talent naturally gifted players. Sometimes the ones that will do the job um, are the best ones to go with. And uh, I think the other thing I'd say for Welbeck is no position in no formation, no problem for him. If when we move to this system, the kind of three, four, two, one, you wouldn't naturally think that Welbeck could have played in one of those roles behind the striker, but he's adapted to it. No problem at all. He can play as a wide striker, the center forward, and now he's playing kind of just off of a striker. And and it's never a problem for him because um, he's got a football brain on him. He always understands his role and how it fits into the team. And I think he's quick to assess situations as well. And, you know, I'd I'd be very interested to see obviously a long way off if if he could ever translate that into coaching, um, you know, he he could he he just seems to have a really sharp in-game tactical brain as much as anything. What what I will say is though, as as gutting as it is for him and a little bit for Arsenal, this is probably the period we can do without a player like Danny Welbeck when you look at the fixtures we've got coming up. Um, Our next three-, three
1: league fixtures before the international break are uh, should be. I mean, it's a layup. It should be nine points. It has to be nine points. Yeah.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've got another week to West Brom. So that's another week of training to get in Alexis's legs. Um, Hopefully try and get Ozil back in that time. I'm I'm unclear on what the prognosis is for him. And then, yeah, we've got West Brom at home where, you know, we'll not only, I was going to say, we can cope with having a bit of chaos. We need a bit of chaos against uh, Tony Pulis's West Brom. Um, And then we're going to have Brighton at home. And then, you know, we got the international break, and then uh, I think Alexis is suspended for one of Chile's games over oh, the international okay. break. Unfortunately, not the second one in Brazil. Um, he'll play that, but um, yeah, and then and then it's Watford, and you know that this is a nice run of games, and this is I'm sure Arsene had his eyes on these games anyway when he was looking to ease Alexis in. I think he was thinking. Yeah, maybe you know the the more difficult one at, at Chelsea, where I need a bit of structure. And it's only September, so Chelsea was very much a must not lose game. It was not a must win game by any means at this stage. Um, not least because Liverpool and Spurs played a day before us, and neither of them got a result at home. I think that took a little bit of the pressure off of us as well. Um, so it it it's bad for him. Um, it's you know it, it is bad for us as well, but. This, you know, I'm sure Arson will be having a word in Lexus's shell-like now and saying, right, we're well, without Welbeck for a month, um, here you go. Here's your run in the team. Um, get back into it and do exactly what you were doing last season. So I, I think really what we're looking at is hopefully we'll have Welbeck back by the time we play Man City away on the 5th of November. That's when we'll probably really need Danny Welbeck, possibly a fortnight earlier against Everton as well. But definitely that City game. So uh, until then, um, you know, losing Danny Welbeck and replacing him with Alexis Sanchez is is no bad thing. And like you said on the last pod, you know, now we can really settle that um, Sanchez-Ozil-Lacazette um, partnership in, in a few games where we're probably going to dominate possession and we'll be looking to break teams down.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, you know, during that time, I mean, Liverpool have a couple uh, difficult away matches, followed by a trip to Old Trafford, followed by a trip to Tottenham. Uh, Tottenham have uh, a couple easy matches, but then they go to Real Madrid, they host Liverpool, they go to Man United, and they host Real Madrid. Um, you, you know, there are drop points coming up for some of the big sides. United have had a really easy run to start the season, not that I think we're catching them or City, but you know, if the goal is to get back into the top four, this next period is where it happens, right? I mean, yeah. the season's up and running now, the window's closed, we know what we're doing, we're coming off a reasonable result here, we got three winnable games in the league, one, two, three, um, without really having too much to worry about, batty Borisov in a game that basically doesn't matter anyway, and, and a game um, in the Carabao Cup that doesn't matter, I think it all has to be about getting nine points from the next nine, and then being in position to make something out of the season, and I think the the one last little interesting thing, and actually, Clive, let, let me just give you a quick go at it. I mean, do you think there's any chance that the manager reverts to Olivier Giroud here with, with Welbeck out? Or, I mean, do you think he's going to finally let us see Lacazette, Ozil, and, and Alexis, assuming that Ozil is not out for a long period of time?
2: I think we, I think the latter. Uh, I think um, he'll play those three. It will be interesting to see, because I'm intrigued by the Alexis up front thing and, and what Wenger said about against Cologne, until it came on, Alexis was too deep. He played too deep, which he did, because he felt he had to. And as soon as it came on, he pushed on and, and done the business. I'm wondering if the up front Alexis thing is not over, and will we see Lacazette and Alexis up front almost as a two, and um, with Ozil in behind, so that's going to be interesting. I think I want to raise a point that Paul made online today, which I think is really important. We're, we, we're going to play two teams over the next couple of weeks. You know, We're going to have a first team and a, a second team primarily going into Europe and the, um, the League Cup. And I do think in the second formation, if we learn something about Cologne, maybe the second team is happier in the back four because we get more players in that formation, for all my in, uh, quiet slagging of Theo Walcott, when it went 4-2-3-1 and he was in the one position he can play, he looked a threat again. So we get him back. We get Giroud as a centre forward. It's quite easy to choose a young forward on the left side. I think the formation is is simpler. For the second team to really thrive in. We can stick Jack behind a a forward. He can sit in an armchair there with not too much distance to cover while he's getting fit. We can have young flyers, we could have a Nelson on the left side or or we could have a young flyer there. We can we can deploy two defensive midfielders and give the platform. We can get Chambers at full back. I just think we have an issue at left back, potentially. That's the one issue that we have. Mm-hmm. I think we're one, we're one left back light in the club. Um, but I think that formation allows us to have a functional second team. And so that's where I think four at the back will work. And I think Paul yeah. pointed out today though, I wanted to mention that. My
1: only issue with that is simply that you're playing these players who were presumably in line to have to start for the first team if someone goes out, if someone goes down, and if you're not playing them in a back three system in competitive fixtures when they do get to play, what happens if they get drafted into the team for an important game and have to play in the back three system then?
2: You know, does it... it I don't think it matters. I think players are flexible now. We've asked for this. I think we really have asked for it. The issue is, yeah, is we've got a couple players who really can only function in one system. right? And And that's an issue, especially when one of our... One of them is one of our top paid players. You have more right, faith uh, in our
1: players and our and our tactical uh, coaching uh, yeah. than I do. I'm just scared to <laughs> death of us. I'm like, hey, don't don't touch it. Just leave it alone. You know, it's like your your parents with the electronics. Like it's working. Don't touch it. Don't don't touch it. Leave it alone.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only time I get disappointed is is not so much the. The tactical side, because we—that happens. You get that right, you get that wrong. The times I get disappointed is the application, <laughs> and what we saw at Anfield was a lack of application. Yeah, and that made me question what's going on in the dressing room, in the club, with the manager. In all the other games, we've looked—we've looked pretty good. I mean, right, it's just the Anfield one. At Stoke, we were very unlucky. The Stoke game was unlucky. Yeah, me.
1: yeah. I mean, that's the one
2: that bothers but those, me. But right that's going to happen.
1: You're, you're going to have results like that in the season. Look, I, 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 think we're in a good position here to to make it to make it count going forward. I, I just think, you know, how the manager manages the squad, how we deal now with, with Welbeck being out. As long as we get it right, I, I think we can resurrect our season over these next couple of weeks, Tim. I mean. How would you manage these Carabao Cup and and Europa games that we have between these league fixtures? Do you agree? Use the talent the right way in a back four because that's what suits our second team, or or keep them in the system that we're playing in our quote unquote sort of first team fixtures.
3: I, I would put them in a back four because no, um, screw you both.
1: You know, fine. Whatever. <laughs> All right, you're right. You're right
3: because um... because we don't have the wing backs. Um, one one of the, the so when Arsenal bought. Cohen Bramall last year the thing that was really really interesting about that signing and there are a number of things that were interesting about it uh, coming from non-league but one of the, the quite strange things if you ever watch our youth teams we never ever have a dedicated left back, never that position in the youth teams is used to develop players so what happens is every couple of months a midfielder usually does a turn there for a couple of for a couple of months to learn the defensive side of the game quite often to learn a little bit about how to play wide as well and just to play in different spaces. Arsenal very, very rarely have dedicated full-backs in their youth team. Indeed, Hector Bellerin uh, was a midfielder when he came to us and we started playing him at right-back because, for for that reason, just to give him a shot at right-back and make him learn something else. It just so happens that that's where he was playing when Arsenal were short of right-backs. Alex Iwobi did not play on the left wing or behind the striker in in the under-21s. He played up front. He played as a false nine. Um, And he actually came to attention because he scored a hat-trick at the Emirates, um, playing for the under-23s a couple of years ago. Very, very few of the players, the young players particularly, that come into the team, come into the team playing exactly the same role that they play in the under-21s. And sometimes that's by design, you know, because um, like when Serge Gnabry was getting his chances, in, he was the best player in the under 21 so he had a free role. He could go wherever he liked. When he came into the foot to the Arsenal first team, he can't do that. He had to play a structured, right, you're on the left hand on the right hand side and that's your role and you play it nice and structured. Like you're not, you're not going wandering um, in the first team because we've got Mesut Ozil to do that. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with Clive on this. I wouldn't be putting Reece Nelson at right wing back. I'd be no
0: playing,
3: way. I'd, I'd be playing him right wing or trying to get him, you know, up with the strikers. Um, and yeah, and play the back four um, because yeah. we just we just. I mean, who plays left wing back against Doncaster? I mean, I suppose we could play Josh de Silva,
1: Superman uh, Dabushi? Be...
3: <laughs> well, I- exactly, exactly, and. And even um, De Silva, I don't think he's a natural left-back either. I think he's just doing his turn there at the moment. And He's doing well, though, it, Tim. He's doing yeah, really well yeah. there. Even when um, Nico Yonaris played a couple of games for Arsenal, he, he was playing defensive midfield for the under-21s every cut. single week. And um, he played right-back when he came into the first team. A uh, completely yeah. different sort of role and responsibility. Um, he, he was actually one of the few players who didn't do a turn at full-back so I, I don't think that when the young players come in, um, I, d- I don't think um, it's as it's as big an issue to perhaps play them in a slightly different system. Um, not not least because their responsibilities are going to be different anyway, because they're not going to be the best players on the team anymore.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, look, ultimately, the qu- there's enough quality in the side to handle the Doncaster Rovers and, in theory, the Bate Borisovs of the world. Regardless of system, I, I think it comes down to a question of what prepares these players best for possibly having to become important contributors. I definitely agree with you, though, that the talent that we have in the squad beyond the first 11 is more suited to a back four. It's just a question of whether that puts them in a position than if we need them for the the key fixtures to be ready for it. Um, It's what it's Doncaster on Wednesday, right? Yeah. Do I have that, do I have that right? Um, yeah, you do. Well, here's the, here's the thing. Tim, you're not going to be available to do a pod after that one. I understand. Probably uh, not. And then Paul will not be available to do a pod after that one. Clive, I assume you'll be available. As yep. far as I understand it, the game is not televised over here in any way, shape, or form. So I will not have seen it. So you can count on that being my best pod of the season. Um, <laughs> uh, or at least the one where I talk the least shit. Um, look, the, the one thing is, ultimately... We're not standing over the, the the body of another thrashing away at a big side. It's a big step in the right direction. And I think really interestingly, the fact that it came without Ozil, the fact that it came without Alexis in the starting 11, my biggest fear has been whatever happens this season, next season was setting up to be the real calamity. No Ozil, no Alexis, a reshaped squad, and, and how do we recover from that? And what this shows is, hey, you know what, without them, maybe you make a, a signing like Lamar, you add one key piece, and maybe... Maybe life after Alexis and Ozil next season is not as bleak as we had thought. I mean, I'm not saying that they're not hugely important players that we depend on. I'm saying that a game where neither of them started turned out to be one of our most encouraging performances of the season. And that's really nice to see. So unless either of you have a word you'd like to add on that, Tim, Clive, any, any thoughts? No?
2: That's what I suspect. Yeah. yeah. Well, now for me, I always say the same thing: players come and go, right? If we can find a Colo Torre and buy him for as bag of balls, a set of tracksuits, and he can end up being an invincible, players come and go. The only players that I always say, the only player that's irreplaceable is Patrick Vieira. Because we still haven't done it yet. Yeah. But apart from that, we must we use players' names as comfort. They all get replaced when we have our favorites. Our sort of, Exactly. We and have our Swiss favorites. Too.
1: No one likes to see their favorites co- their go, but at the end of the day, I mean, the, the, the club will be here long yes. after them. And and look, the the big outgoing is the manager, and that's on the horizon too, but we will get to that when the time comes in 2042. Um, in any event, Tim is on Twitter, at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> My pleasure as always. In, uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the uh, Carabao Cup. Um, I, I don't think the match will be played in China, despite the draw being done there. <laughs> Um, so I don't think the travel will be too bad Not for yet. you. Not yet. Not yet. Give,
2: hey, it a of, give it a couple of years.
1: You know that 39th game nobody wants? I want it because it's going to be over here, fuckers. That's what I want. Um, yeah, then then, then we'll see, Tim, how your record of attending every match is. You're, wel- you're welcome to sleep in my basement. It's unfinished, but the, the cement is comfortable. In any event, uh, uh, Clive is on Twitter at ClivePFC. Thanks, Clive
2: thank you very much
1: yeah my name is elliot smith block me on twitter yankee gunner and give us five-star review even if you think the content is terrible because you feel sorry for tim and clive having to sit here and talk to me um i'm going to just assume that everything will go exactly to plan in the carabao cup because when is that ever not been the case except against reading uh so in any event enjoy the match if you're able to watch it we'll come back with some kind of haphazard pod after that and then it is on to Uh, some Premier League game that we should win at the weekend. In any event, uh, cheers up the Arsenal. We'll talk to you next time.